we spoke last time about the sense of the word transformation <clears throat> it is in a way to manifest the higher nature the nature of the divine in terms of the lower shubhendra puts it in in the synthesis even now what we find here in the lower nature is a derivative from the higher because there cannot be two origin of things but what we see at present is a very distorted a very shadowy reflection if one may say so something which is so distorted as to be unrecognized and this distortion has to be corrected the lower nature made ready to receive the influx of the higher nature without breaking down under the pressure the difficulty is immense as shubhendra puts it it is no shortcut sadhana it's not shortcut or easy sadhana like french made easy or yoga without tears one has to cross through fire one has to cross through storms one has to cross through tears and one has to keep moving or inching forward as shubhendra says in one of the letters that sometimes it's like inching forward you don't even know whether you are moving or you are not moving and yet it is true that once this process begins we cannot help but move forwards so this is the beauty of the path its danger and its charm this is not easy because to begin with the lower nature finds the higher nature too far too distant too remote too splendid too abstract too difficult too inaccessible all the terms that some of the sadhaks were using for sure bindo himalayan grandeur inaccessible remote lower nature finds the higher nature like that many people would not even admit the possibility that it's possible that this world this bodily life this embodied being can be even a even a kind of reflection of the higher truth so lower nature does not want it or it finds it too difficult the higher nature in its turn finds the lower too small too narrow too rigid too mean too bounded too much into darkness and ignorance too weak to bear its pressure we find that in savitri when ashupati asks for that light that power the voice says my fire and sweetness are the cause of life but too immense my danger and my joy truth born too soon might break the imperfect earth so the difficulty is dual and the work in this yoga is dual an opening 
and receiving and preparing and all these go on simultaneously the more we open and receive the more this nature is made ready for a still greater opening and a still greater receptivity the more we prepare this lower nature the more the opening and the receptivity increases so it's a double work that one is engaged in this yoga as compared to the traditional yoga where the work is somehow to cut through the lower nature and all its difficulties and knots and find the shortest shortcut to come in contact with that reality and having found it to plunge into it and lose oneself but here as the mother says the aim is not to lose oneself into the divine consciousness but to make life perfect with the divine perfection and that is the difficulty if this alone were there there would be one can still try but there is another difficulty lower nature is not individual just as higher nature is not something individual we think it is my nature but it is universal whatever is there in one person is there in everybody it's a great mistake to believe that you know in the first stages of uh, journey of life and some of us finish with that stage alone we think we are the best and everybody is you know horrible and others are bad and so on and so forth then as we grow we begin to see what i see in others is not, is also there in me and we see that what i see in others is often a reflection of my own being its shadow or its light and after a while we see there is nothing unique or individual in terms of movements of nature what we call as a unique personality is simply a different combination of elements of nature the same nature by suppression of one element and expression of another or in suppression of other element and expression of this one we have the different combinations and nature plays with it infinite variety it creates just by these combinations of course each is a mold for a unique expression of the divine but that's something different but essentially everything is there in everybody so in this yoga one has to struggle not only with one's own difficulty but as shobindo says as a representative of the difficulty of the human race each one who takes this yoga in earnest has to work and strive and struggle not only for one's own self because this is not a yoga of individual nirvana but the same problem returns again and again and again n number of times changing its form its shape it becomes a little more difficult little more difficult it it's not that mother doesn't allow us to rest you know you cross a hurdle and she says fine now this one this a little more difficult so you cross and say ah at least now i can get my spiritual retirement pension but not done not allowed the bar is raised and so is the strength and so is the delight of the journey so it's a fascinating journey at one level but the difficulty is that it's not just an individual yoga but a yoga of a revolution in the entire field of nature all were around us they pour into us and we have to absorb and work and we can't even cry that's you because it's not you it's not me either it's the whole universe a third level of problem is that there are forces 
which do not want this yoga for their own perverted logic they are not human they are hostile to the yoga they are adverse to the idea of divine life upon earth so as long as you seek nirvana there is no problem they say okay you want to quit this earth fine go get the ticket they don't disturb you much but if you say we want to change they say how dare it's my kingdom that's how shivinda speaks of in the god's labor in in the poem god's labor this earth is our field you can't change it you can quit it we allow you red card but if you want to change it we don't allow you so there are forces immense forces are arranged against this yoga forces subtle forces which can masquerade in a thousand ways forces that are adverse forces that are hostile and shubindo says even spiritual forces don't allow you to go easily three types of forces which test the aspirant in this yoga forces of universal nature we all know that you all know what our nature is then there are forces which are adverse and hostile to the process of yoga they cause a black clouding of the brain a confusion and abnormal swings of depression suicidal tendencies anything they just make the man imbalanced so sometimes they work in paradoxical way aggrandize him you are someone very special chosen one you are the avatar you are capable of doing this or they throw heaps of doubts upon the mind of catastrophes and as if they are carrying an inevitable you know that conviction of inevitable catastrophes so they work in many ways shobindo speaks about it great length we need not speak about them they are already having enough time <laughs> and then there are spiritual and divine forces which also test us whether we are really ready that's what we last time the story of trishanku he wants to go to heaven with the body not allowed are you ready so they test us again and again so this becomes a very very difficult path and that's why worth doing what's the use of doing easy things and that's why in this path more than any other there is the great need of the divine embodiment as his personal example if it's just a question of entry into nirvana or another state of consciousness it's all right to find a door and a way and a technique and a process it's very good to have a master but if you know the technique and if you know the way it's all right but where the low nature and the high nature have to meet and trans one transmute the other which human body which human being can bear that pressure so here we have one of the great mysteries of life the mystery of the divine embodiment why does he take a human body walk like us speak like us behave like us almost not quite though thankfully there is this beautiful line in savitri the absolute the perfect the immune our mask of imperfection has assumed a mutual debt binds earth to the supreme 
his nature we must put on as as he put ours his human portion we must grow divine our life is a paradox with god for key so he assumes the human nature and he assumes the human nature so that first this alchemy can be worked out in him therefore the immense importance in this yoga to not only have the personal example but an influence and opening to the avatar it becomes a very easy doorway he doesn't deny the avatar doesn't say if you want to walk your way try it on your own fine human, human nature is uh, infinitely stupid and god is infinitely compassionate and believes in utter freedom so he allows us to walk our way but the path can be so much easier if we learn to surrender and open this is beautiful um, little um, if one may say anecdote or a conversation exchange of conversation between satprem and the mother in agenda when the mother speaks about all these difficult experiences which we cannot even understand let alone you know doing them of course uh, uh, once again there are a lot of people doing yoga of um, transformation of the body cells straight away without <laughs> without even as much as bringing out the psyche but it's okay it's each one's business but when satprem asks the mother it's very difficult how are we supposed to do it something to that effect mother says but my child who is asking you to do it i am doing it for you you just open it open yourself to me the divine knows the difficulty he takes the human nature and he brings the power of the higher consciousness works upon himself and when he sees fine it can be done the path is there then a representative sample of humanity that's what we see in the genesis of the ashram he brings a representative sample of humanity each with its own difficulty and initially the mother says each of you represents an impossibility later on she corrected she said now i may say that it's not an impossibility each of you represents a difficulty earlier it was an impossibility so when they started the work everything in na- nature must have revolted and said no we don't accept it we don't allow this after a while it became a difficulty so there were seed group of people gathered around each one was a representative not of his own nature but of universal nature there were some who were throwing doubts after doubts and when one reads one wonders how can somebody write to shirobindo that i don't understand this but they have done a great service thanks to them all that is cleared in that plane there were some totally rooted in the physical there is story of someone who was constantly pinching the mother's toe every time she sat for the evening classes and you know the toe would get blue and the mother won't say a word so people used to get very angry someone asked him asked the mother we feel like <laughs> throwing him out <laughs> mother says don't worry it's between him and me he is trying to test the divine whether i am really divine or not so his way of testing was this one can go to such levels of well we don't have a word and that's why the more we see such a sample of humanity we think of divine grace divine love and divine compassion only they could bear with this kind of uh, 
foolishness. But each one of us represents a kind of difficulty and they threw upon the mother and Shurabindo all these difficulties, difficulties of the heart, difficulties of the head, difficulties of the lower vital nature, difficulties of the most perverse kind. And they took it. There is a famous story, anecdote, real anecdote, when mother used to give meditation, on the right side were seated some and the left side some others. We spoke of it last time, I think. And there was someone who used to sit right in front of mother. And the moment meditation would start, this person would get up and start pulling some people's hair and pushing them. And So, you know, people would get angry but would keep quiet because mother is sitting, so they don't know, you know what to do. So, one day this man who used to sit right across her got up and said, Mother, just as you represent the highest force of the Supreme, I represent the lowest. So, Mother looked at him very intently, very deep. And they say that after that he became quiet. So, everything is represented. It was like a representative. This yoga is a representative battle. It's very important because that's how this becomes a collective yoga. This is not a collective yoga in the sense that how many people we can gather. It's not a yoga of head count. That if there are 1 lakh, it's a more collective yoga. And if there are 10 lakhs, this is still more collective yoga. The collective yoga, one person sitting in a room can do collective yoga. If he is working upon his difficulty as representative of human nature. Who else but Shurabinda and the mother were doing collective yoga without as much as stepping their feet outside uh, a single room. So this is the second part and therefore it's important in this yoga not only to remember their, their example and their influence but to turn to them in a state of surrender. Shurabinda says surrender is the first step of the yoga. Surrender is the end of the yoga. Surrender is in the middle of the yoga. And one may add, it's impossible really to do this yoga unless one not only opens, but opens with surrender. You carry me. It's very interesting. The Gita reflects it. You know, the Gita starts with surrender. This is a central surrender. What is surrender? Handing over your responsibility to the divine. This is the beginning of yoga. You are the Lord and I give myself to you, carry me on this path. It's difficult, but you are the best physician in the world. I may be the most impossible case, the nuttiest case, but I am sure you know at least how to cure all the nutty cases because you have made all of us the way we are. This is not to transfer just a blame, but this is a reality. Mother says in one of her prayers, O thou, the sole friend and confident, confidant who accepts us just as we are, understands us just as we are because thou hast made us. The divine knows us. He knows us in the heart of the seeker. So surrender starts with accepting that yes, from now onwards thou art my master friend. In this yoga, the traditional approach of the divine as guru is not there. But this does not mean there is no guru. In fact, Shurabindo says in this yoga, you don't approach the divine necessarily as a guru. But if it was only guru, it's easy. But as teacher, as master, as friend, as confidant, 
as mother, as father, even as a child and as the supreme beloved. He speaks and Shubhinda says in one of the aphorisms, discipleship to God the teacher, sonship to God the master, the indulgent love of God the mother, slavery to God the, ma the master, he is the master and we are his slaves. What great ananda in that. The clasp of the hand of the playmate and the friend. Laughter and sport with divine the comrade and playfellow. And the rapturous love of the divine paramour and beloved. These are the seven beatitudes. And he who has it seven beatitudes in the human body. That's another interesting thing. You can't relate this way as a disembodied being. Seven beatitudes when we take this human body and he who has them, his emancipation is greater than the highest Advaitins. This is the relation to build with the divine. So surrender starts with saying that, well, I belong to you and give myself to you. You carry me on this path. And it grows as the manifold relations of a life, the manifold seekings of a life, the manifold strivings and struggles of our rich egoistic life. That's how Dilip Kumar Rai once asked Shirobindo, Sir, you speak of yoga as giving ananda and all this, but what about the rich life that I had outside? And Shobinda says, I too have a taste of this rich egoistic life that one has outside. Eventually one is living for the ego, however great it may appear. This rich egoistic life, it has its own charm, but much greater charm to be his slave. There is a aphorism in, in, in Shobinda's thoughts and aphorism. God's servant is something, God's slave is greater. Servant asks for wages. Servant is on the payrolls. He can choose to quit. But slave is bound for life. Slave can be called any time. He has no personal preferences. He cannot even say, give me this wage. But in return, the divine gives himself to him. The divine gives himself to those who give in their entirety to the divine. This is the path of surrender and it grows. It's not in one day, it's not in maybe one lifetime. But one must know that this is the way towards which one has to move. All seekings, all effort, all human strivings must eventually begin to become centered around the divine. And if we have a look at the ashram life in the beginnings, which was like a little laboratory, we see this is what the mother was trying to teach us. Every month it started with prosperity on 1st of January, 1st of every month. Even now the custom is there. Only thing is that, you know, very often bags go and people collect post prosperity for the whole department distributed. But the idea, the principle is very beautiful. Every month we go and the divine gives us what we need. If, the, if we can live with the same attitude that the divine will give us, provide for us what we need. He knows more than us what we really need. And this need is not only about physical objects. In prosperity you got a soap or a towel or a shampoo or you know something for your hair oil, maybe a dress. 
but this is equally true of people of events of circumstances if we really surrender really really surrender he will bring to us the people whom we need to meet whom we need in our life to grow and progress they may not always be nice people because divine has a sense of irony and <laughs> he, he likes to sometimes make us progress through most uh, you know strange ways there is a story in uh, in one of the ancient scriptures that narada asks uh, krishna you know they are going together and he suddenly has this he has uh, you know this quirky nature and asks sometimes very strange questions so he says tell me what is this uh, you know maya in which people get involved so much i am above all this so you know there is behind the question a little pride he's not saying this but there implicit so krishna says oh you don't know maya anyways i'll talk about it later anyways i am not much used to giving lectures like all these people you know who go to different places and give lectures on me i don't give lectures i have another way of explaining things but that later but you know narada right now i am very thirsty can you get me some water before i can tell a few words about what is maya so narada goes and he goes to bring water and as the story goes as he goes to bring water he likes someone there he gets married he has children and he you know he forgets about the water <laughs> so after some time one day a great catastrophe takes place and his whole life is shattered the wife the children they suddenly die in a fire and his house is brought down and that night he spends a very restless night everything below my feet has been taken away what kind of divine are you is there really a god you are very cruel you did this to me snatched away the few things that gave me joy and suddenly as narada is tormented in his that restless agony he hears a little voice inside his heart narada i am thirsty and that one voice and the entire thing is dispelled and he knows that he has to carry water water is creation the little mud the little forces and energies which move within us and give it back to him yes here is it for your thirst it is a symbolic story like it is very real for our own lives so this is surrender this is the way of surrender how everything is brought back to the divine and return to him how everything is centered around the divine so we had morning pranams early morning and people speak in the ashram those days oh we had so many kinds of darshan balcony darshan then vegetable darshan then flower darshan even donkey darshan and even the animals used to come for mother's darshan they used to be vegetable darshan all these darshans were there and so beautiful what it means is that everything had to be sanctified by her touch her presence her influence pouring upon inanimate objects upon little sweet little nothings upon human beings upon the animals flower everything she touched and transmuted by the touch so this is the way of surrender that everything is offered and centered around her why am i working for my sake for my enjoyment to get more to to you know have a better kind of comfortable living or am i working really as a dedicated servant of the lord 
forgetting everything else this was the principle and even now the principle stands and she taught by her personal example and the example of this little laboratory called the ashram and now the oroville that how to center everything around the divine and at night the last darshan was sometimes 12 1230 and some people used to wait and that was the whole principle that whole life should be centered around the divine this is not easy and to develop it in any perfection requires probably lifetimes people think surrender is easy it's the most difficult thing everything else is easy we don't even know what things are there in us even the darkest corners have to be laid bare before her without shame without fear without guilt when someone wrote to the mother mother why is it that when i come before you all the bad thoughts arise in me They said, "What's wrong with it?" She says, "No, mother, it's not good to have bad thoughts in front of you." <laughs> so, mother laughs and says, "Why not? Maybe they are coming up so that they can be seen, and I can work upon them." Normally, we have a tendency to put up the best attire when we go to the divine. And she says, "Come back! Don't come to me as little saints. Come to me just as you are, so that I can work upon you." saints are very dangerous you shut yourself in ego's brilliant shell everybody looks upon you and you are a little saint so you begin to pose as a saint but in the end everything remains within dark suppressed in some nether parts of a nature but this but in this yoga as the higher consciousness descends it raises more and more mark which is hidden inside when it works in the higher regions of the mind then yoga is very beautiful it's like you went to the himalayan peak took a whiff of fresh air and came back and lived with that memory there are some people who live with that memory all their life oh i had a beautiful experience when i went to oroville oh matrimandi was brilliant but the rest of the life remains as it is that's okay it's a little touch but then some people go further so as they go further the deeper layers of the mind are touched doubts the sense mind all its problems the vital mind with all its imaginations comes up when that is settled then the heart throws all its emotions love lust anger revolt everything then it goes into the nether regions and the knots and energies of centuries lying dormant the fiery serpents they rise up and the divine gathers them in her arms till they too are appeased and quieted and transformed they accept they must accept in freedom to change this is the big problem of this yoga it's not enough that one part says i change and i surrender each part is asked this question repeatedly and it has to go through many many experiences through which one layer one layer surrenders little 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 eventually you know a time comes when that part says yes i surrender it's not enough that uh, one part of the being says so that's why the path is long surrender is makes it short it makes it delightful but what should be the first step to make the process of surrender easier to make it more dynamic to make it more Uh, more beautiful to make the action of the higher consciousness upon the lower 
less fraught with dangers shobinder speaks of two things one the emergence of the psychic being which should take control of the mind body and life the sooner it emerges the better it is as long as it is the mind which is the leader we are on very uncertain road it's like handing over the steering wheel to a driver who doesn't know the direction who doesn't know where you have to go doesn't have the road map and you say take me to the temple of the divine now you say okay i know it that makes it worse a driver who doesn't know and accepts that i don't know is a safe one never take a driver who doesn't know but claims that he knows the place he'll mislead you mind is precisely such a misleader it believes it knows the way so it has its idea of the divine and is working shobindo says in the very beginning four aids when he speaks of the guru he says the divine master does not work the way the human ego would want it to work our ego is satisfied by show of miracles it wants instant reliefs instant cure like you know tiger pain balm made in china you rub it and your problem is solved you go to allopaths and they give you a quick medicine and you say wow it's a miracle doer divine doesn't do miracle you pray to divine i have got a pain in the neck you say okay i'll go to the root of the problem <laughs> and we give up what kind of divine are you allopath is better he can do a better miracle but wait wait the pain returns the problem remains but when the divine works it changes it radically it takes time so the psychic when it emerges it allows this working in fact one can then feel a very clear separation in in the soul its aspiration its beauty its ananda its peace its sweetness and this surface nature which is all the time clouded with currents from the universal nature which are coming into it entering into it one can feel that it's a stage of yoga and it's a very beautiful stage of yoga and it's a one of the first necessities to learn to separate the soul from nature shobindo speaks about it one should do this as a practice to learn to separate the soul from nature and its movements this is not me this nature which is coming up me is this me is that which aspires to the divine me is that which surrenders me is that which is full of trust and gratitude i am that which is knows itself as a child of the divine immortal in a sense sharing his liberty that is me who wants to live for him by him in him this is my workplace the field of action this nature full of thorns fallen nature and sometimes it has to be defenseless and nude for the spirit to work upon it so this separation is one of the processes which shobindo speaks of and the method is to learn to separate by stepping back by going deeper and deeper and deeper by the power of concentration by constant remembrance and offering everything to the divine by opening oneself these are so many ways especially concentration in the heart one goes deeper and a time comes when suddenly one can look at the whole thing as a reversal and everything is changed the whole outlook is changed the whole inlook is changed one is identified with this essential self and the rest one can see as so many shadows characters actors on the scene 
some unwanted, many unwanted perhaps, but one knows the difference between the two. So this is one of the things to find the secret soul. And Sri says, till one has found that yoga is, everything can be or is dangerous in the yoga, except the psychic emergence. It's the only safety factor. One can say that finding the psychic is the most beautiful part. It is safe. All the rest, this talk about, I am pulling the force and force is working transformation. Unless the psychic has emerged, all this is very, very dangerous. And mother used to say, do not pull, give yourself. Only the psychic can do that. Or sometimes the vital under the influence of the psychic. But usually we pull, we draw the force. Very dangerous. It can upset the balance. It can bring in many, many deceptive elements which can mimic as if they are divine. So the psychic emergence is the first necessity and simultaneously a practice of equanimity, equality or equanimity. This is the uh, central point of the yogic life. Shobindo speaks of this state in one of his poems, The Divine Worker. I face earth's happenings with an equal soul. In all are heard thy feet, in all are heard thy tread, thy unseen feet, tread destiny's pathways in my front, life's whole, tremendous theorem is thou complete. No danger can perturb my spirit's calm, my acts are thine, I do thy works and pass. Failure is cradled on thy deathless arms, Victory is thy passage, mirrored through fortune's glass. In this rude combat with the soul of man, thy smile within my heart makes my soul strength. This the, is the strength of the divine worker. Thy smile within my heart makes all my strength. It labors at thy grandiose plan, Indifferent to the time snake's crawling length, it labors at thy grandiose plan. This is what the psychic, this is what the state of equanimity is. Even if it takes millenniums, this is the thing worth doing. This is another kind of equanimity. Indifferent to the time snake's crawling length, no power can slay my soul, it lives in thee. Thy presence is my immortality. Million times we have died, a million times we are reborn. This is a very beautiful poem of Maulana Rome. He says, Why should I be afraid of death? I have died a million times. I died a mineral and became a plant. I died a plant. In fact, I became a seed. I died a seed and became a plant. I died a plant and became a tree. I died a tree and became an animal. I died an animal and became a man. Why should I be afraid of death? And in this yoga we die in one life many, many times. Every time the whole ego structure around which we have focused our life. In normal customary life, a person is born at one place, lives, dies, everything is fine. He thinks it's fine. It's very good to live and die at the same place with children by your side and grandchildren by your side and you know going to good universities and money and everything people think it's it's great 
but that's one life in yoga you live many lifetimes so you build you think this is me and that entire world collapses this one death death of the ego self but another emerges as one is dying something is reborn and you find yourself into another time space construct and you think at last i have it something neat and beautiful divine says okay fine settle yourself you are settled and then another smash if you are too settled if you aspire and you change he allows the whole structure to keep on changing but we don't we want to remain in that comfort zone unchanged so another blow and that goes another one and another one and another one a million times we die and are reborn so this is yoga a constant rebirth a constant ascension and equanimity shobindo says very beautifully is the soul's ground on which the sacrifice can take place yoga is sacrifice of the lower for the sake of the higher but we cannot do it unless the ground is made clear so you know in in the ancient traditions you have this you know or even now if you have to build a temple or a cathedral or you have to you know a a holy spot you first clear the ground and there is a custom i'm sure it must be everywhere but in the indian context you have something called bhumi puja before you build a place you clean the place and you invoke the gods and you light a fire and you pray and invoke that may this place be free of all the adverse elements so this is um praying for the earth in which you have to do things it may be building a house it may be sowing a seed or whatever so the bhumi puja soul's ground has to be prepared so for that equanimity is the best thing that prepares the ground for the higher nature to come because when it comes many things will be upset many things will change many things to which we cling and are attached to it will be taken away from us and if we don't have equality we'll crash equality in the mind equality in the heart equality in the vital parts which cling to our heart clings to certain emotions certain people in a certain way our mind clings to certain fixed ideas thoughts opinions only this even you know vegetarian you are doing yoga if you are non vegetarian you are not doing yoga all these are ideas and opinions so many ideas and opinions about life one may say yes it's good to eat vegetarian food and i eat it out of my own choice but we should not make anything as an absolute rule this alone and not otherwise well if you make such constructs at the level of the heart we cling and we cling and problem comes at the level of the vital at the level of the body habits temperament climate everything we cling and in this yoga that's taken away so when that happens we can really be very disturbed so equanimity is the ground if we cannot bear with divine working he works in his own way he doesn't care about our egoistic enjoyments and pleasures and he sometimes says okay i am i'll carry you very fast on a fast forward train and we are very happy that we are in an accelerated mode of evolution you know people use this term so lightly yoga is accelerated evolution try sitting in a train that goes at dizzying speeds after a moment the heart sings the mind shakes the vital says screams stop it stop it this is too fast so equality is the first thing to be developed and
it has two sides passive equality and dynamic equality passive equality equality means a quiet and unmoved mind and vital it means not to be touched or disturbed by things that happen or things said or done to you but to look at them with a straight look it's not you know with a weak look straight look free from the distortions created by personal feeling and to try to understand what is behind them why they happen so it is not just an indifferent look it is also not you know giving a rosy picture for oneself if somebody criticizes us let's look at it if there is a truth in the criticism fair enough accept it if not don't bother human opinions are human opinions at the end they are all opinions of ignorance so to take a straight look at ourselves more than others so often people say straight forward mother children must be straight forward so it's before anybody else we have to be straight forward with ourselves and to try to understand what is behind them why they happen what is to be learned from them what is it in oneself which they are cast against and what inner profit or progress one can make out of them all this is part of equality sadhana of equality big program it means self mastery over the vital movement anger and sensitiveness and pride as well as desire and the rest shubhendu speaks about it anger sensitiveness they are born of the nervous vital whereas love as an emotion comes from much deeper it can get mixed with it and distorted but there is something beautiful about that whereas see here he is again making distinction movements like anger jealousy um hatred these strong and violent emotions they are coming from very turbulent regions and one has to work on them not to let them get hold of the emotional being how everything is mixed in us and disturb the inner peace not to speak and act in the rush and impulsion of these things not to let one speech be used to project anger hatred ill will it can be firm quiet powerful strong but not out of these always to act and speak out of a calm inner poise of the spirit and then shubhendu says it is not easy to have this equality in any full perfect measure but one should always try more and more to make it the basis of one's inner state and outer movements another thing equality means to have an equal view of men and their nature and acts and the forces that move them it helps one to see the truth about them by pushing away from the mind all personal feeling in one's seeing and judgment and even all the mental bias it does not mean that everybody is equal it means we have to see what forces are moving and not by personal biases this is all right because i also do it this way it's not that it is to look what is moving ourselves and people around us if there is a need not that we have to keep judging people but if necessity arises one has to see <clears throat> personal feeling always distorts and makes one see in men's action not only the actions themselves but things behind them which more often than not are not there 
misunderstanding, misjudgment, which could have been avoided, are the result. Then further, Shubhendra says, it is not a mental quiet, aloofness, indifference, not an inert, vital quiescence, that is sign of weakness. To just be limp and, you know, feel I am equal, like a stone. It's not the peace of the dead man, it's the peace of Shiva, who can dance and create a million worlds which ease footsteps and destroy a million with his breath. That is the kind of state. So it's not a mental quiet, aloofness, indifference, it should be a quiet which nothing can disturb. Even the worst, even if uh, bombs were bursting, deep inside we are able to retain that even though the surface nature is quivering. Ideally even the surface nature should be under its influence. <clears throat> though these things are sometimes mistaken for the spiritual condition, but a wide, comprehensive, unmoved universality, such a beautiful line in Savitri, a wide, un, a calm and wide, unshaken look on time's unrest. This is the state of being unmoved. It is not mere quiescence and indifference, not a withdrawal from experience. It's not that equality means I go away into a shell, live in a cave, it's not a withdrawal from experience, but a superiority to the present reactions of the mind in life. It is the spiritual way of replying to life, or rather of embracing it, and compelling it to become a perfect form of action of the self and spirit. It's not running away from life. It is the first secret of the soul's mastery of existence. And then Shubhendu says this, <clears throat> Equality does not include inert acceptance. If, for instance, there is a temporary failure of some endeavor in the sadhana, one has to keep equality, not to be troubled or despondent. There is a beautiful mantra, Shubhendra says, you know, people wallow in guilt, you know, the best strategy of the hostile forces. They first make you fall, and then they make you feel guilty about the fall. The fall is not so dangerous, but the guilt is very dangerous. Because then you are tied to that. You remember it ad infinitum and ad nauseum. I, the fallen one. Shabinda says, get up, brush off your pants and walk again. There is a beautiful letter, he says, to all movements of doubt, discouragement and failure. You must say, I am the mother's child. It is she who has called me to the path. I cannot fail. This is the strength, this is the trust. So equality means that and not, you know. <clears throat> then again he says, of course, um, you ought rather to find out the reason and meaning of the failure and go forward in faith towards victory. Our faith is not to be in failure. So with illness, you have not to be troubled, shaken or restless, but you have not to accept illness as the divine will but rather look upon it as an imperfection of the body to be got rid of as you try to get rid of vital imperfections or mental errors. And then this finally, this powerful letter, no doubt, hatred and cursing are not the proper attitude. This, you know, one of the questions that day we, you know, what, what's equality? Is it indifference? So Shubhendra says, one should not hate, curse or doubt. It is true also that to look upon all things and all people with a calm and clear vision, 
to be uninvolved and impartial in one's judgment is a quite proper yogic attitude a condition of perfect samata can be established in which one sees all as equal friends and enemies included even they who curse there is a there are meditations of mandavya in which shobindo writes about love and one of them he says easy is it to love uh, in return for love in a shopman's heart but he who can kiss even when there is you know i am forgetting the powerful lines but even when there is anger and hatred he alone loves so this is something very powerful for human consciousness in one place he says that you know when he talks of oneself he says my rivals downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face this is the kind of equality which can develop so he says to look on friends and enemies included and is not disturbed by what men do or by what happens so what if people have cursed you have no ill will the question is whether this is all that is demanded from us now comes the second part the dynamic equality if so then the general attitude will be of a neutral indifference to everything but the gita which strongly insists on a perfect and absolute samta goes on to say fight destroy the adversary conquer so there is the other command if there is no kind of general action wanted no loyalty to truth as against falsehood except for one's personal sadhana no will for the truth to conquer then the samata of indifference will suffice if it's a question of personal nirvana no problem let people do what they want i am busy with my own personal nirvana or transformation but there is nothing like a personal transformation just an impossibility because everything is interconnected in fact the more we grow the more we enter into the cosmic consciousness and we realize the utter interconnectedness of life so he says samata of indifference will suffice but here there is a work to be done a truth to be established against which immense forces are arranged there is a error here it is written arranged it is arranged invisible forces which can use visible things and persons and actions for their instruments if one is among the disciples the seekers of this truth one has to take sides for the truth to stand against the forces that attack it and seek to stifle it arjuna wanted not to stand for either side to refuse any action of hostility even against assailants shri krishna who insisted so much on samata strongly rebuked his attitude and insisted equally on his fighting the adversary have samata he said and seeing clearly the truth fight therefore to take sides with the truth and to refuse to concede anything to the falsehood that attacks to be unflinchingly loyal and against the hostiles and the attackers it not is not inconsistent with equality it is personal and egoistic feelings that has to be thrown away very often people who are you know apparently saying i am equal are doing it out of personal feelings but one can fight without personal grudges ill will has to be rejected hatred has to be thrown away 
but loyalty and refusal to compromise with the assailant and the hostiles or to dally with their ideas and demands and say after all we can compromise with what they ask from us or to accept them as companions and our own people these things have a great importance if the attack were a physical menace to the work and the leaders and doers of the work one would see this at once but because the attack is of a subtler kind can a passive attitude be right it is a spiritual battle inward and outward by neutrality and compromise or even passivity one may allow the enemy forces to pass and crush down the truth and its children this letter was written in response to sahana devi's question when somebody speaks something against you and mother i feel very angry is it right some people say no you must remain a mental calm this is shurbindo's reply you will stop here if there are some quick questions 10 minutes one can start anyways there are a lot of people who don't care about the psychic being but it's very dangerous to do that there are people who straight away read about yoga and think about you know that supramental force and lower nature has to be changed and we'll become superman normally these are people who are drawn to yoga because of lust for power for siddhis they hunting after greatness of another kind you know when you cannot satisfy worldly ambition at last i have a possibility of a spiritual ambition and when people say oh you are uh, you know in world you know many times you hear all kinds of things so you can say no i am engaged in something very difficult i am doing yoga where i'll become a superman and i'll have you know these capacities of nature and this is very dangerous so these are people who don't have patience and they are attracted to not to light but to power in shurabindu's yoga before the power light so when they pull these this force so called 99% you cannot pull super mind it's too heavy for human effort you cannot even touch it but what they end up pulling are vital forces and that upsets their balance creates megalomania creates all kinds of imaginations and they believe that they are into the truth and only the psychic can give you the warning it can discriminate and tell you look you are not on the right path otherwise one can you know mount one insincerity after another after a while because in yoga you have to go through many things but the psychic will tell you it will not justify it will tell you that look this is to be corrected now how what depending on the nature constitution time taken experience all that is fine but it knows and second it has implicit trust sadhana done under other parts and as long as psychic is not immersed you know people come very excited and enthusiastic first problem they run away we came to oroville it's a beautiful place after one month they begin to see another dimension of oroville physical conditions are difficult after few months they see psychological conditions are difficult then they see everybody is horrible and then they say no 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 this is not the dream city i'll build my dream city in my own place in my little home obviously one is not ready 
So one has to go through many knocks. Then one begins to see and see with the calm vision of the soul. But it's not easy. So psychic being when it comes out, it says it alone has the patience and the perseverance to go through every ordeal of the yogic life. Shabinda says that unless it has emerged, one cannot go through the ordeal. It's a test of fire. There's a very beautiful, um, even in, you know, in any mystic literature, there's a um, line about love. One of the saints, he says, uh, he says, what is love? It's not easy by any means. So what is it? it you have to go through a river of fire and how you have to go through? Drowned in it. You're not supposed to fly over it. And then one remembers Shurabindo's famous line, to walk through life, armored against all fear, peril and disaster, only two things are needed, two that go always together, the grace of the Divine Mother, and on your side, an inner state made up of faith, sincerity and surrender. But see the words, to walk through life, there is no spiritual bypass. Yes. Yes, Guruji, I heard you read that last letter she read you about the neutrality. Uh, it reminded me of uh, having read this big article uh, in Urdu today about the Tiruvanna Nadu Ashram and so many religious going there and how peaceful it is there. Uh, I haven't read. Um, I I don't uh, regularly get Auroville today. Once in a while, I do get it. Uh, what you say is very true. It is very dangerous to begin with to mix influences, comparisons apart. The yoga of Raman Ashram is very different. Moves along very different lines. Um, when people used to come to the mother, mother, it's there in collected works, so one can speak about it openly, publicly. So when people came for peace, he says, when people come here for peace, I send them to the ashram at Thiruvannamalai. But if you want transformation, then you stay on here and go through the fire. So peace of that kind, of a passive, neutral kind, as you rightly say, then withdrawal from world, from sense contacts, from life, from difficulties, the struggle, the knot, the pain and everything. Yes, there's the right place. But it's peace of the dead, not the peace of the divine tread. So that's why the other equality is necessary, because in this yoga you have to make a choice at each level, individually, collectively. Mother never encouraged. In fact, this is what she said, that it is there in the, in the collected works. That, But, you know, as I said, God gives us infinite freedom. Um, someone, uh, there is a story of Amrita. Uh, he, you know, um, fell in love with a girl and used to go in the morning to meet her. And, and every morning, you know, he fixed up a time with her at four o'clock. And uh, once Shabinda is reported to have remarked, that so, Amrit, it's time for you. And he took it as a sanction from the Lord. So he went ahead. <laughs> uh, he decided and fixed up for marriage. So then he came and asked, uh, 
Shurabindu for permission. Shurabindu says, what nonsense. So she, um, I mean, there are other interludes also which I, I won't mention, you know. So Shurabindu almost seemed to have sanctioned many things. So, you know, when, uh, for instance, he once asked, did you, did you kiss the girl? You know, things like that. And then toward the end, then he said, what nonsense. So uh, he asked, Lord, why did you allow me to go so far? So Shivindu says, to see how far you can go. So you know that divine gives a rope, but sometimes he lets us hang by the rope. So he's a very long rope, <laughs> we should be very careful. Always we have to, it's a double walk, you know, it's, that's why it's a razor edge. On one side you have to go through the difficulties of nature. It's not, we can, cannot cut the knot, we have to accept the burden of our nature with all its struggles and problems. It cannot be done in one day and go through so many experiences. At the same time, we should not forget that this is the goal and not this halfway home where I rest today. It may be alright today, but this is how I have to move in that direction. And whatever helps me to move towards that is fine. But mixing influences is very dangerous. Even with people, it can go to that extent. Mixing gurus, there was a person who fell sick, terribly sick and used to remain sick. Not that all sickness because of that. And when mother came to the room, she saw the photograph of one of the gurus and she said, this is what you are doing. You are, this is not sectarianism. This is simply a simple rule of spiritual life that don't mix influences, especially when two yogas are working in different directions. And where is another yoga of this kind? So it's very dangerous. But even with people sometimes, you know, people don't understand it and they feel it's, you know, it's like a sect when you mix and meet people who are devotees. But it's important to understand when you live in close relationship with a human being, of course in life you have to meet, in close relationship with a human being who is not following the same path. And sometimes at the same pace, it can be very, very dangerous. It, these influences can be very, very risky. So in yoga one has to understand these are principles of inner life. Like obedience to the guru is not like divine is carrying a whip in his hand saying obey me. He's not doing that. He says fine if you want to walk away walk. You have the freedom but you must know it's dangerous. So he is giving us an easy way. People mix influences, they mix paths, they mix all kinds of things. It's their business and it's their problem. But this is not the sanction of the divine mother and Shurabindo. Uh, when we do it, at one's own peril, the yoga is complete. Shurabindo has given everything that needs to be given. He has said everything that needs to be said. Even if we can put one ounce of the ocean of yoga he has given, it would be a great leap for all of us. We don't have to really do nothing. That one thing may be remember and offer. That one thing. Rather than you know trying hundred things. But well, each one has to follow his own way. So it's okay. So, yes, please. How to find this balance between acting and not acting? And how to be on this age where you don't fall on one side or fall together? Yes. Both are very beautiful things. The balance between acting and not acting is the um, line between remembrance and forgetfulness. In action we forget, this is the problem. So there are two ways. One is to keep offering all that is going on inside. Which means over a period of time a background consciousness must, de must develop that all these states that arise within us, be it of 
anger, be it of frustration, be it of even physical action, it must be spontaneously something should keep offering without, you know, but of course certain acts completely make us forget uh, that. But if one can practice remembrance and offering, it would be, one would find a practical way of the right balance. Of course, there are so many ways, but this is a practical way to remember and offer all that is happening inside and all that one is doing. The second thing, um, the balance between uh, the walking the razor edge. Uh, well, not to deceive oneself, not to tell lies to oneself, not to justify oneself, to look at things as they are, to call anger, anger, to call lust, lust, to call uh, hatred, hatred, not to give rosy names, and to to yet, you know, even while one is, you know, to recognize the insincerities and not to color them up. One has many insincerities, and as the mother says, when you think you are integrally sincere, it's a straight path into falsehood. One is most insincere when one says, I am sincere. So one starts with ignorance, one knows that, well, I am maybe a bundle of insincerities today to recognize them and to move. What really helps is to remember that that is where I have to reach. This compass should always be there, and this compass is outer and inner. The inner compass is that when one knows that one is being veiled of the presence, one needs silence, one needs to go inside and find that. And whatever is veiling one's consciousness, very acutely one should be very conscious that, uh, you know, it is not, not a good thing, it's something very dangerous, if one has contacted with the presence. The other is, of course, one knows the goal. All else is halfway home and a distraction. So one knows that ultimately the goal is a complete self-giving integrally to the divine. Till that has happened, one does not rest. So that's how one walks the razor edge. Feet bleed, you trip a number of times, no problem. That is the path. In Savitri, when Shubhna speaks of search for the soul, so Savitri goes through many levels of experience and then, you know, through vital, through physical difficulties, vital, mental and faith and then she still sees gods running out of her soul to help the world and she asks one of them you seem to come from my soul tell me where is it I want to find it and very beautifully described that gods are rushing to help the world and she finds that it's a paradox that they who save others must first save themselves so she asks these gods you seem to come you seem to know O oh happy company of the luminous gods Tell me where do you come from and where do I find my secret soul? So one of them stops and tells her, Yes, we come from your soul, Savitri. All the beautiful movements of life come from the soul. Gratitude, joy, surrender, love, strength, courage, fearlessness, they all come from the soul. So we can ask any of them. And then one of them points behind and says, Go through that path inside. There in a path, tread by few, trod by few, Wounded pilgrim feet. One, there is not one life that can unwounded pass. Not in life, not in yoga. So razor edge is there. One has to walk it. Sincerity is the watchword. Surrender is the safety. Faith is the armor. Courage their armor. Faith, their sword, they must walk. Children and soldiers of the army of light. This is how one walks. It's difficult, 
but worth doing. I think we'll pause here and maybe meet next week. Thank you.